Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for watching the Spoken Worth podcast. If you're watching this week's episode, click like on this video and subscribe to my YouTube channel. We release an episode every single week. And so if you're watching this week's episode, thank you. You matter. You're loved. Remember, click like on this video and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Enjoy episode seven, Palm Sunday, Jesus's entry into Jerusalem and what it reveals about him as a king and what kind of kingdom he brings. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is episode seven. Let's jump right into it. Today is Palm Sunday, and today we're going to be looking at Jesus's entry into Jerusalem as he sets his path towards the cross. He begins his journey towards the cross, and he begins by entering into Jerusalem during a very, very uh, high tense time, a very tense time in his culture, a very tense time politically, culturally, religiously. And he enters into Jerusalem in, in, in a very distinct way that makes a statement. And he's done some things prior to this entrance that, that really sets the stage. And so um, the, the, the reason it's important for us to take time to understand what Jesus did in this in this entry into Jerusalem is because it portrays a very important message about who Jesus is. And, and that's what we're going to look at today. And ultimately, we're going to look at Jesus and his kingship and the kind of kingdom he brings and how he rules and reigns and what kind of king he really is. And we're going to look at that through John chapter 12. We're looking at the triumphal entry, Jesus's entry into Jerusalem what it reveals about him, his kingship, his rule, uh, his rule and reign, and the kind of kingdom he offers us. And so let's jump into uh, chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 12 through 13 first. And, and, and in these verses, we really see a lot of the context and culture uh, politically and historically and culturally. So uh, let's look at John chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. On the next day, when the large crowd that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, indeed the King of Israel. That's John chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. And here we see that the that there's a large crowd that has gathered the day uh, uh after the Sabbath. And so it's Sunday. This is six days prior to Jesus's crucifixion. This is immediately following the news of Jesus raising Lazarus from death. And then uh, he, later he's anointed by Mary and Bethany. We see that in John 11, 38 through uh, where we're at now in, in chapter 12. And so let's not forget that the tension is rising so much that, that religious leaders are attempting to conspire to kill Jesus. They're trying to kill Jesus. 
And, and, and this is around the time of the Feast of the Passover, in which was a time where Rome feared a spark that would light inside of Israel. Israel was waiting for and longing for a coming Messiah. And so Lazarus uh, had just been raised from the dead, and that uh, definitely and certainly served as a significant spark within the Jewish community in this messianic uh, messianic longing and in, in their in their expectations towards uh, someone coming from God to be their Messiah. They were waiting for that, and so now they're they're conspiring to kill Jesus. But we also see in chapter twelve and verse ten that they're attempting to kill Lazarus as well. They want to kill Lazarus because he was the one who was just raised by this Jesus guy. And so Jesus is in a very sticky situation. He's in a, uh, he's in a situation where his religious leaders are out to kill him. He's in a situation where uh, his culture is expecting a lot out of him. And we're going to see that here in what they and uh, what they shout. We're going to look at that and unpack that here in a second. But they are expecting a lot because they're expecting a coming Messiah. And so they hear about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And this is the seventh and final miracle. He had done miracles before this. He changed water to wine. He'd raised. Uh, uh, he had healed illnesses, healed leprosy, he had fed 5,000, he's walked on water, he's done so many different things, but really this was like this, the seventh and, and, and concluding proof, raising Lazarus from the dead, that he would be the one that God has sent to be their Messiah, that he would be the Messiah. And they hear about Lazarus being raised from the dead, so they, they get together outside of Jerusalem and they gather palm branches. This is the first thing we need to unpack. They, they, they gather palm branches and they meet Jesus with these palm branches. And palm branches carried with them a significant and deep cultural meaning within Jesus' culture, within ancient Jewish culture. Uh, religiously, they symbolized victory over their enemies. They were an excellent export for Israel. Culturally, they were very normalized. King Solomon had palm branches engraved into the temple walls and doors. In Leviticus 23 and Nehemiah 8, we see that palm branches were used by Jews during many of their festivals. Kings and rulers were often welcomed by palm branches uh, as they took their seat of authority as their, or as they made their entrance. Victors of the Greek games would come home to their community waving palm branches to symbolize their victory. They were placed on Roman currency to symbolize their victory over Jews in the first century. And so Jesus' Jewish community was welcoming Jesus as their king when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and they're waving palm branches and they're shouting, uh, Hosanna! At him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, indeed the King of Israel. This was a celebratory, ceremonial welcoming of what they believed to be their earthly, national, and political leader. The crowd shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. It's taken from this messianic psalm in Psalm 118, verses 1 through 29. And Hosanna means, save us. 
So, so they're shouting, save us, save us. They're shouting at Jesus for him to save them. They were wanting saving and deliverance from Roman oppression, and they were wanting it now. And really, it gives us more insight to where they were, where their minds and hearts were at this time, uh, in this moment. They were tired and fed up. They were weary. They were fatigued. They were tired of all the bullying from Rome and even bullying from their own religious rulers and leadership. They were tired of being looked down upon, walked on, mistreated and misled. They were tired of their political leaders and their inability to trust them further than they could throw them. They were tired of all the pain, hurt, and waiting. Ah, oh, they were tired of waiting. They had been waiting for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years of oppression and enslavement from handfuls of different enemies. They had been waiting for hundreds of years for God's promised Messiah to finally arrive and free them from all the chaos and madness that they were going through. And now Jesus has finally arrived. Their King, their Savior, and their Liberator, their Messiah, had arrived. And so... It's important for us to know really where they were at as, as a culture, where they were at in their minds and in their hearts, and what they would have been expecting out of Jesus. They were expecting a lot out of Jesus. And I think we as a culture and society are also desperate for an earthly king and, an, and, and some type of liberator. We are tired and fed up and fatigued with all the craziness that's going on in our world. We feel Tired and bullied by politicians. We feel worn down from all the hate and division. We're tired of our societal abandonment of logic, reasoning, and common sense. We're tired of the polarization of politics and political parties. We're tired of the slow loss of our freedoms. We're tired of our, economic, uh, our economy getting worse and worse. We're tired of China and other countries taking advantage of us as a country. We're tired of wars and constant growing threat of war. Our culture and our society is searching for a king to save us. And, and in many people's mind, in many people's minds, if we just elect the right president, then all of our problems will be resolved. If we just have the perfect leader, or if we voted the right political party, all of our problems would be resolved. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, are looking for something or someone to save us from our earthly trouble and our earthly problems. For some people, maybe it's not politics, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe if I just had the perfect relationship or spouse or partner, if I was just in that perfect relationship, all of my problems would go away. Or I would be happy. Maybe maybe it's the... it's the position I'm in at work. Maybe if I got a raise at work or if I had my dream job or if I had a better boss, then then all of my problems wouldn't be as big of pro, uh, as as problematic in my life. They would they'd be a lot easier. My life would be a lot better. Maybe it's if I had the perfect dream home. Maybe it's we're looking uh, uh, for something or someone in some way shape or form to swoop in and save us and rescue us from all of our earthly trouble and all of our problems in this life. And and the key is trying to focus on Jesus, making Jesus our king, making Jesus the one in which we look at and look towards for saving, the one that we look towards for deliverance 
But the thing is, we have to understand what kind of king Jesus is and what kind of deliverance he offers and what kind of kingdom he offers and ushers in and, and brings into this world. We have to understand what kind of rule and reign Jesus has for us as our king. And so Jesus's method of entry here in the text reveals what kind of king Jesus is and, and really what he's all about. Uh, and so let's look at, continue to look in, in verse 14 through 15, verses 14 through 15 in this text of John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. So the crowd is shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So they, they, they want Jesus, their King, to save them. But notice how Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Beginning in verse 14. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, do not fear, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey, on a donkey's colt. That's John chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. And we see Jesus enter Jerusalem seated on a donkey. And in one hand, on one hand, this was to fulfill the prophecy from Zechariah 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so daughter of Zion, daughter of Jerusalem, this is a description of Israel. And, and the command in Zechariah is to rejoice greatly because he's prophesying about their coming king who's, who's coming into, uh, uh, into bring them salvation and he's righteous and he's endowed with salvation and he's humble and he's mounted on a donkey. And that's how Zechariah describes him in a full of a baby colt, uh, a colt is, is less than a year old in age, and so a foal is a baby colt. And so Jesus is seated on a on a donkey that's not even a year in age. Jesus is seated on on the opposite of what you would think he'd be seated on if if he was coming to 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 smash Rome and stop all of the oppression and be this earthly king that they were expecting him to be. And there's a beautiful quote from uh from McLaren's, McLaren's Exposition Commentary, I want to quote it now. McLaren's Exposition Commentary says this about Jesus riding in on a colt, uh, on, a, on a donkey, on a, a little baby donkey. But even while Jesus accepted the acclamations and deliberately set himself to stir up enthusiasm, he sought to purify the gross ideas of the crowd. What more striking way could he have chosen of declaring that all of the turbulent passions and eagerness for a foot-to-foot -foot conflict with Rome, which, uh, which were boiling in their breasts, were alien and foreign to his purposes and to the true messianic ideal, than that choosing of the meek, slow-pacing baby donkey to bear him. A conquering king would have made his triumphal entry in a chariot or a battle horse. The strange, this strange type of monarch is throned on a donkey 
It was not only for a verbal fulfillment of the prophecy, but for a demonstration of the essential nature of his kingdom. Wow, it's a beautiful excerpt there from McLaren's exposition commentary in John chapter 12. And and really what it's highlighting and what I love about it is it's highlighting how this is the least expected thing that a, a coming king would do to demonstrate power. And in fact, in ancient time, in Jesus' time, we see that a, a donkey represents uh, a donkey represents peace. If you were coming into, into war, you would come in with a horse. You wouldn't come in with a donkey. And so we have to understand that this choice, this intentional method of entry by Jesus reveals very specifically what kind of king and what kind of kingdom he offers. Jesus is a king that rules and reigns with humility and meekness rather than power and might. Not that Jesus didn't have any power and might. In fact, he had the most power and might. He is God, but he is completely submitting himself to the will of the Father. And so we see him demonstrating this meekness. He's going to not yield. Uh, He's not going to weaponize himself with power and might. He's going to sacrifice himself. And through meekness and humility, he's going to bring in a new kind of kingdom. And Jesus is a king that brings a kingdom of peace. In ancient times, again, they would ride in on horses uh, if they wanted war, but donkeys if they wanted peace. And in Zechariah, Zechariah 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 10, if we kept reading, we would see what it continues to say about this prophesied Messiah. We see in Zechariah 9, verse 10, it says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus is the coming king who comes to take away sin, break every weapon of sin, proclaim peace to all the world and to all the people, and rule over all. Jesus will bring peace to every inch of the earth when he goes to the cross. Jesus offers peace between mankind and God. Jesus gives us spiritual rest in which we no longer have to be ruled by sin, but we can be ruled by Jesus. Jesus is intentionally choosing to to enter Jerusalem on this donkey to demonstrate the kind of king he is and that he's a different kind of king. He's a king that is powerful but meek and humble. And he's a king that brings peace, not war. And he's not going to come to do what they expected him to do. And Jesus riding on the donkey also in a perfect poetic way references back to Isaac being carried up by Abraham to be sacrificed. See, Jesus rides in on a donkey as the son of God to sacrifice and die to save the sons of Abraham and all the people from their sins. Jesus is not the kind of king that Israel was looking for. He is the opposite. They wanted Jesus to rise up and free them from Rome by smashing and defeating Rome. Jesus goes on to free them from all of their suffering by being crucified and crushed by Rome himself. 
They wanted Jesus to bring an end to all their suffering. Jesus came to suffer and die on a cross and promised those that follow him that they would also suffer and be persecuted. They wanted Jesus to restore Israel back to national prominence and judge their enemies. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit and to pray, serve, and love your enemies. I believe we are the same in many ways. See, we want Jesus to save us from our earthly problems, but Jesus came to save us from our spiritual problem of sin. How many people today, us included, me included, uh, all of us, really, when we think about it, all of us live in some way, shape, or form with this belief that God and Jesus are inclined to or obligated to save us from all the pain and suffering. How many times is God blamed when something goes wrong in life or when things aren't going the way we thought they would go? How often do we feel as if God, uh, how often do we feel as if God and Jesus have just abandoned us or aren't even there because life is difficult and hard and full of pain. How many times do we only pray to Jesus when we need something or when there's a problem in our life that we want to go away? See, I'm very blessed to be able to teach 8th through 12th grade Bible, and I have many students who really wrestle with this notion of a good God when there's obviously this evil, evil world. In other words, they have a this assumption that in order for God to be good, the world in which they live in and experience must also be equally as good. The world in which they live in and experience is not as good as God. And a lot of people think that. And, and that view of God and Jesus will lead us to be wildly disappointed in God and Jesus. How many times do we fall into the same mindset as Israel? during the time of Jesus, where we think that we just need the right leader or president or king to save us from all the madness that we're experiencing, or where we think that our political and earthly trouble is even the greatest trouble we need saving from rather than the trouble of sin and death. Jesus didn't come to restore Israel, America, or any earthly nation back to earthly prominence and power, but Jesus did did come to restore all people back to a loving relationship with God by taking away the sins of all the world. Jesus didn't come to be a political leader who would pass perfect bills and laws, but he came to be the perfect savior of our sins and would free us from the law that we couldn't keep ourselves. Jesus is a new kind of king that brings a new kind of kingdom. And Jesus isn't focused on changing our world. He's interested in changing us. And then our world, by consequence and result, will be changed. We don't need to change and fix everything around us. We need to change and fix everything within us that keeps us from an intimate relationship with Jesus. And then really, that's the whole point of Christianity. That's the whole point of Jesus entirely. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. In other words, Jesus, in a relationship with him, makes us into new creations. Turns us into something that is far greater than we could ever imagine or build ourselves into be ourselves. 
and, and through that transformation, the world around us becomes changed and transformed as well. Jesus is not interested at being a genie in a bottle that gives us unlimited wishes and allows us to just constantly uh, plead him and beg him to take away this or take away that or give me this or give me that or, or stop or prevent this from happening but allow this to happen. It doesn't work like that. Jesus, instead of removing all of our suffering within our life, he chooses to suffer with us. And we see... In this text of John chapter 12, Jesus' triumphal entry, he begins to symbolize his kingship, his, hum, uh, his humble and meek reign as a king, and the kind of kingdom he brings, a kingdom of peace, through riding in on a donkey. Jesus is a different kind of king. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what kind of king are we looking for? What kind of king are we looking for? Are we looking for someone or something to just take away all of our problems and make our life what we want it to be, and to give us what we want? Or are we looking for a king that will help us in the most important area that we can't help ourselves in sin jesus is a king that can save us from our sin and he's a king that knows what's best for us and wants to lead us and love us and he's worthy of our submission there's a lot of things we submit to in this life but jesus really is the only one worth submitting to and jesus is a kind of king that isn't going to come in and smash Rome and tear apart their rule and reign the way Israel wanted him to. He's going to do it through sacrifice and love and giving up his life by dying on a cross. And so, for Palm Sunday, remember, Jesus is about to go to the cross. And what he's about to do is the most important thing that's ever happened in human history. And so I encourage you to spend some time reflecting tonight, reflecting this week on Jesus's journey to the cross. Begin in chapter 12 of John or really in any of the gospels where it talks about Jesus's entry into Jerusalem and spend time really reflecting on what it means for Jesus to be the kind of king that he is, and for Jesus to bring the kind of kingdom that he brings. Because it's a big deal. And really ask yourself, what is keeping me from submitting my life to Jesus as my king? We all want Jesus to be our savior, but will we let Jesus be our humble, lowly, meek, all-deserving king? I believe we should. Be blessed.